All right, you're listening to the One Two Three Show with me, Noreen Mir, this Thursday afternoon. Let's turn to our very first guest of today. I'm really delighted to be chatting with musician, songwriter, and photographer Philip Jarrell about his latest single, "Life Has Got to Get Better," and also what it feels like to be an emerging artist at 68 years old, and also the English music scene in mainland China. Welcome to the program, Philip. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. How are you doing today? Hi, hi. Very good, thanks. It's nice great. To, nice to meet you. It's lovely nice to, to see meet you. you. Here. We are live yeah. on Facebook as well. Noreen Mir on RTHK Radio Three is the page to go to. So, first of all, congratulations on your latest single, "Life Has Got to Get Better," uh, released just earlier this year. Now, I, I read that you recorded this song about forty years ago, and it's just being released. What's the story behind the the forty year delay? Well, that's a big story. It's a lot of time, huh? It feels like yesterday, and I, I just, um, yeah. Oh, how to how, how to fill in the how to fill in that story? It's not easy, but the uh, the whole thing happened be kind of because of the virus, and um, I was here in Shanghai when the virus started, and. Uh, was here it was you know this time last year and everybody had had gone away for the chinese new year and i was here by myself and um i really didn't know it was a pretty scary time right we didn't know what was going on we're experiencing here in hong kong the fourth wave (laughs) just seems never ending and it's just this sort of life between semi-lockdown we've not had any sort of major lockdowns here in hong kong but things are closed and there are curfews and this is the life right now yeah business is not good yeah so that that's uh that's how it started. I was sitting here, basically everything was closed and and we didn't know how you get the virus at that point. In the in the beginning, they didn't know if it was if it was uh coming through the air or the water or from person to person or, or what it was, you know. So I was I was just sitting here in, in my apartment, same where I am today. And um you know, let let, let me just uh do one thing here. I'm sorry. Yep, no problem. We are uh, live on Facebook as well. If you'd like to uh, hear musician uh, Philip Jarrell, uh, do log on to Facebook, Noreen Mir on RTHK Radio 3. Um, I-, I have the songs uh, queued up, but I- I'm afraid we may not have enough time to do it before the two o'clock news. Uh, we'll play some of it later. Um, it's just so interesting that at-, at 68 years old, you're an emerging artist right now, so to speak. Um, and I think it's important for our listeners to also know that um, bit of backstory uh, uh, about you and that you co-wrote the song Torn Between Two Lovers uh, sung by Mary McGregor Um, it was such a great hit really really uh, did you expect it to be such a great hit when you wrote it not at all no you don't you don't know one from the other when you're writing them or even when you listen to them I listen back now and I've written lots of songs that I like better and that I think you know the more interesting are but you never know what people are going to relate to. And, um, that, yeah. That's, that's so, the beauty of it. You know, you have an idea in your head, you write it, and, you know, it connects with it connects with the audience on, on different levels, and you never know who it will connect to and, and what feelings it will help people go through. 
That's that's right. And some sometimes people can't relate to it at all. You, know, you just really, yeah, I've had people say, why would you write a song about that? I say, well, you know, you never know what you should write about. It could be about a pencil, but people could go, yeah, I really get it, you know. And I didn't actually uh, know this, but I heard in another interview that you did with uh, DJBO, Brian Offenther, uh, that um, Faye Wong did a version of that, Torn Between Two Lovers. Um, have you heard that version um, before? Yeah. I have, yeah. I, you know, I was living in New York before I came here, and I I met a lot of uh, Chinese models, and uh, I was I was watching Wong Kar Wai movies. I mean, this was like in 1999 and 1998. Loved all the Wong Kar Wai movies, and I I saw the one with the girl in the trailer selling hot dogs at night or whatever, you know. And I and I said to the China, you know, to the models, I said, "Who is that girl?" And they said, "Oh, that's Wong Fei. She's very famous in in, in Hong Kong." You know, and I had that's never right. heard of her in New York. So I, I went to Chinatown and I got some of her her CDs, in, you know, from New York Chinatown, and I loved her. And I I I just kept buying more, and I only listened to Wong Fei for a long time. And when I got here. You know, I continue listening, but everybody said, oh, yeah, everybody knows Wong Fei. You know, that's old. You know, by, it was, I came here, it was 2002. They were going, oh, yeah, when I was in high school, I used to listen to Wong Fei. But for me, it was new, you know. And in my studio, I, I had a photo studio. I was shooting for the magazines. It was all fashion stuff and it, at that point in 2003. And my studio manager came to me one day and said, oh, I, you know, I... Wong Fei sang this song, and you know, he's got your name on it, but it can't be you. And um, you know, I said, "Well, I don't know, man. Let me hear it. Maybe it, you know." I I would get a royalty statements, and sometimes it would say Hong Kong, but you know, in the world of things, it's small. And I would never, and it was also in Chinese, so I never knew what that was for. It was just torn between two lovers in Hong Kong. And uh, sometimes oh, well. it's in English, you know, yeah, it could be by any artist, but I didn't know who who those people are. And it's in, you know it's in many languages, so it can be French or German uh, or whatever. Thai, sometimes, yeah, that's right. yeah, yeah, yeah. It is actually, yeah. So that that was it. I had no idea, and, and he, you know, he told me that he said you, Wong Fei, but he knew Wong Fei was great, and you know, and it couldn't be me because right? <laughs> I was right there next to him. And he, he said, uh, "Yeah, it's, you know, it's got your name, but." It, must be somebody else. I said, well, let me hear the song. And I listened to it. And sure enough, it was Torn Between Two Lovers in Cantonese. Yeah, so it's one of, you know, it's it's been by many artists, but I have to say Wong Fei is my favorite next to Mary McGregor, of course. I, I have to say, yeah, I'm a massive fan of, of, of Wong Fei as well. And I remember sort of being in primary school and saving up for her for her cassette tapes and the side A and side B. I must have listened to that cassette over, I don't know, 5,000 times on yeah, repeat. Yeah. Um, beautiful. So it must be such a great thing that she did a cover um, of, of your song. Um, I want to also talk a little bit more about your latest single, Life Has Got to Get Better, um, released earlier this year. That's so exciting to be releasing. You keep releasing music and, and to be releasing it at, at 68, which is very young, but to be able to keep doing what you love and keep doing what you do. Um, what was the inspiration behind uh, Life Has Got to Get Better? And does it feel different 
hearing it now, 40 years later, because you recorded it 40 years ago. So what's your feeling like hearing it now being released? Right. Well, yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. You know, and it's just sort of kind of to loop back there. Um, I originally, I was with Motown. I was an, an right. artist with Motown. And my first album was on Motown. And then this one was cut for, for Motown. It was a, supposed to be the second one. And I left Motown and went to 20th Century Fox. And then things happened there, whereas it never actually got released. And um, it was a, a big project with a, you know a, a great musicians. The people on you know, that particular track... Uh, was Howard Johnson's horns. Howard Johnson uh, had the Saturday Night Live horn section at that time when we recorded it in 1978, right? Yeah, and, it, you know, Saturday Night Live was the biggest thing in America, the biggest TV show. It was it was an early season, and it was fantastic. And, and he was also playing on John Lennon records and with the band and Dylan. And, you know, so it was that caliber of musicians, all of them that, that are on that record. And the guitar player is Larry Byram, who played with Steppenwolf and the keyboard player. Um, oh. Forget, forgetting his name at the moment, but it's a guy who's played on a hundred gold records. I mean, all the players. Oh, and the guy who played um, with John Lennon as well in Saturday Night Live. Yeah, Howard Johnson. Yes. And he, he just like uh, just a month ago Amazing. or less passed passed away. Yeah. So very, very sad that I, I actually contacted some of the guys playing on it and I said hey listen what do you think so it's the same question you're asking me how does it sound now and what were you thinking when we did it so just to get back to, to that uh in those days actually i was living in woodstock which is two hours north of new york city and i would spend a lot of time in new york city and it was a time when the gang life in New York, it was a very dangerous place in 1977. When I first went up there, you know, I just thought you have to be insane to live in New York. Every day, three to five people were murdered. They were shot with guns and cut with knives. It was like a war zone there. And it was totally accepted as normal. I mean, everybody just walked around. I know I got, first I got out at, at, on Broadway the first day I got out of a taxi and crash somebody threw a, a bottle against the wall exploded behind me and I just you know and I was shocked and everybody just kept walking like nothing happened and this was life in New York in 1977 and 78 yeah so I, I got of, that vibe from the music video it's very cool for our listeners do go to YouTube and type in Philip Jarrell life has got to get better um it, it's it's very it's very weird, you know, it's so dark. The lyrics are sort of uplifting in a way, you know, life has got to get better. And it seems like we're living in this weird parallel universe where 40 years later, we're still worried about the same things you were worried about when you wrote the well, song. What last year and what this last year has been like every day you look at the news and those images are in the news and there are, you know, there were riots in the streets and people burning things and, and life has been pretty turbulent in Hong Kong as well as in across America. And so, you know, it, it, 
there was the song and the track, and then I had to come up with a video. And we're in lockdown here, and I'm here, and pretty much working by myself without a team. The studio is closed now. And how to make a video. And with one of the songs before that, when I made a video that I wasn't in, it was like a meditation video, and the song was very much about, you know, getting in touch with your universe and but then I wasn't in it and, and I realized I really had to get in there and it's something that I hadn't I'm always behind the camera I'm, I'm, I'm never in front of it so I'm not really comfortable and I didn't have a cameraman it's like I'm when I'm shooting I know it's going to be cool but how do I get me in front of the camera big problem you know so that was my dilemma and I spent lots of time about the, the how to put the story together in the background images and how I was going to fit myself into it so that sort of made the loop into the present the video brought it into now the images fit with the message but it connects all the way up to the current vaccine and virus those are the end people who get to the end of the whole three and a half minute video you know, there there's a vaccine thing happening there, and there are. I don't know if you've seen it, but I hope people get to the end because there are these skeletons who skeletons are dancing to life. Skeletons in the red. Yes. That's right. Yeah, skeletons are dancing till life's got to get better. So you know, it's a positive, negative kind of a thing, right? You know, it, it, the second half of the line is that life's got to get better. It can't get no worse, and so things are have gotten so you know things haven't changed that much it's just that they're a continuation philip, i'm afraid we have to go to the news now but let's continue this very interesting conversation with philip jarrell Welcome back to the 123 Show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Thursday afternoon. This afternoon, we're talking with musician, singer-songwriter, and also photographer Philip Jarrell about his latest EP and his latest single, Life Has Gotta Get Better. And we are on Facebook Live as well, Noreen Mayer on RTHK Radio 3. Feel free to join us there this afternoon and perhaps post your comment there. Um, I think earlier we mentioned that um, Philip released uh, his song at uh, 68 years old as an emerging artist artist it must be such a great feeling to sort of um work on something 40 years ago and for it to be realized so congratulations uh, to you philip you mentioned just now that um you know you're a motown artist um working there what did you learn um from being from your days in motown uh, in terms of being an artist and also being a producer well you know i be actually just step back a bit. I was a staff writer at Muscle Shoals Sound Studio in That's Muscle right. Shoals, Alabama, when I wrote Torn Between Two Lovers. And so I, that was really my school. Uh, so, you know, I mean, those guys were amazing producers. And I was actually there at Muscle Shoals Sound with Barry Beckett and Roger Hawkins and Jimmy Johnson. They all did you know, so many gold records. They were just amazingly great musicians and producers. And that was really more my school. I mean, they were doing R&B and Motown type music. And I was really more like leaning more towards British pop rock than, but, you know, recently I really realized the Motown sound was really a big influence on me. I was listening to a lot of, of, of Supreme's music 
in the last couple of days and uh, just remembering how important that was to me when I was a teen, as well as listening to Hendrix and all the British rock. The Motown sound in America was huge. And Diana Ross and the Supremes and Stevie Wonder, of course. And the way that I got to, to Motown was in after I, I worked with Peter Yarrow when we wrote Torn Between Two Lovers. And Peter's old manager was Albert Grossman who managed Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Bob Dylan, and Janis Joplin. And so Peter, he introduced, so I met Peter because he was recording in Muscle Shoals. And they introduced me to Peter to write songs with him for his project. And so once I worked with Peter, he introduced me to his old manager, Albert Grossman, who lived in Woodstock. And so that's how I got to Woodstock. And then while there, I met a guy who was Stevie Wonder's lawyer, a bit manager kind of guy. And he insisted to sign me with Motown and he had been working with Stevie. So, you know, that gets me up to Motown. But once at Motown, I started working with a lot of Stevie's team, Stevie's engineers, Malcolm Cecil, um, they had done Superstition and the four albums before Songs in the Key of Life. So I was then in another great studio situation with some of the best people. And the musicians also had the bass and drums from Wonder Love, which was Stevie's band. And then, you know, I and I was a producer, so I could bring in whoever I wanted to work with. And... Uh, while out there, you know, the, the next record, which is coming out, actually is going to have a lot of that, but more in the L.A. people than the Muscle Shoals people. Uh, Speaking but, of uh, mus Muscle Shoals, you were a staff writer there. What does it mean to be a staff writer? Does it mean that you sort of write songs and write lyrics without knowing who you're writing for? What's, what, what, did, what did you do there? Uh, actually, they would tell me who was coming oh, okay. so I knew who I was writing for and they would call me up and say the artist who came in there they would generally try to get them to do one of their songs or two of their songs so when Rod Stewart was coming Rod Stewart did Atlantic Crossing at that point and he he came in and they called me three or four months ahead and said give me three songs for Rod Stewart he's you know and so I would write the songs, go go into the studio and make the demos. So I would sort of, it was a kind of, I, I you know, it's a, kind of a psychic thing. You know, you become Rod Stewart. What would Rod Stewart do? And write that, you know. And, and then it would be for whatever artist was coming in. And uh, so then I tended to sound like everybody and not, not, you know, I met Albert Grossman and he said, okay, he listened to all the songs. He says, I see you're a songwriter, but who's the real Philip Jarrell? And no, nobody had ever pointed that out to me yet. You know, I was like, okay, well, I never thought of that, right? I, I wrote songs for Johnny Cash and Rod Stewart and whoever needed a song, but uh, okay, who am I? I don't know, right? So writing songs like Life's Gotta Get Better was part of that process actually of thinking well what would i say and then it's 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 there's a, a reggae influence i was very much into bob marley and john lennon and this sort of social consciousness kind of thinking and 
and writing for songs. I did write a lot of love songs, but you can see Torn Between Two Lovers is even kind of a social comment, you know, mixed in with a love song. So, yeah. Um, How did you eventually find your own voice? Because it's true, you know, in, in the society that we live in, it's so easy to be influenced and hear other people's voices, and it sort of drowns out our own thoughts and our own voice. It's not hmm. easy to often stick to... To, to know who we are and, and what we believe. So how did you, how did you find yourself through, it's a, through it's other people's really an music? Ongoing, it's such an ongoing process that it, I'm still wondering, you know, I'm still trying to answer the question. I'm so glad you said that. And it's true. We're still figuring it out, everybody at any age. I guess. And, you know, and I, I'm, I always used to think I was sort of rehearsing for life. I mean, I, I remember back in those days, I thought, well, it's kind of like a scholarship, right? I just kind of like you get it, you know, it, it's hard to arrive. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't until I came to Shanghai and then actually, you know, when I got here, I was actually doing photography. And it, then it became a studio and working, shooting every day and working every day and night, that's when you're in the moment. You don't have time anymore to think about, well, should I shoot something like this? Or like, should I sound like linen or should I do, you know, so there's a, people are always saying, oh, I hear this in your voice and that in your voice. And I guess all those influences become part of you. But it, you know, again, the, that those songs were recorded 40 years ago. Uh, the ones like, like, um, uh, the you know the money song is love is better than gold that one i recorded here and that's a vocal that's much more re recent so that was one where i really it more just directly came from me without much other influence well let's talk <clears throat> and, about that song later on yeah <clears throat> yeah and so you know in a way i can't wait to sort of I'm, not, I'm in the mode right now of sort of telling the story and putting those things out. So the sound of life's got to get better. I remastered it. So I, I, you know, technically I couldn't remix it because I don't have the multi-track. So I just had to take the mixed two-track and remaster it with today's tools. So it sounds quite good coming out of the phone and the computer and that's how we pretty much hear music these days on spotify absolutely it's the, the, yeah. the new way to hear yeah. music <clears throat> I, I really enjoyed your single uh love is better than gold it's very good the melody is and, and the lyrics it just sort of stopped me um and and made me think it's it, it's philosophical it made me think you know why are things what why is everything sort of related to money in a way and why do we chase money you know <laughs> slaves to money if you like what inspired you to write this again i'm still struggling with exactly what you just said you know the concept of of life the somebody created this world in this way that everything functions around money and it's just I, you know i've been trying to deny it my whole life. I don't want to live that way. You know, and as an artist, I don't want to do things for money. I didn't write those songs for money. You know, I don't do my art for it, but then I need money like everybody else. You can't deny the fact that you've got to have it. And it's involved in everything. It's in, you know, and it, it's it's involved in your love affair. It's involved with your family and the people around you. It's it's everywhere, and that's how this system is is made. And some 
money people made it that way. And I don't like it, you know, but we're dealing with that. But that's sort of what we're all human beings are, are dealing with in the world today is what's the relationship with life? What makes it production productive, right? What makes us get up in the morning and go do anything, right? If we didn't have to do it, would we do it? Maybe we wouldn't. And that that's the experiment that I had with myself pretty much my whole life. You know, after after I did leave 20th century and I did walk away from the music business, I continued to write songs and I continued to record songs. But I then I became myself. I became Philip Jarrell, the artist. And so there were songs like. Even the um, Love is Better Than Gold was written in about 1981. Uh, so it was dealing with the situation, which is just a, a recycling situation of the rise and fall of the economy of the world that we are all strapped to when the economy goes down. We go down and we didn't do anything. It just happens to us. Yeah. We're kind of dragged along with the economy of the world. When things are good, I'm not doing anything on Wall Street. I don't buy and sell stuff, but people have money and they spend it because the economy is good. So it affects us whether or not we are directly involved with dealing in money. And, you know, in that part of it, it, we are so affected by it. And then, you know, you see how it affected the poor people who were homeless on the street. What happened to them, right? And who cares? And who's taking care of them? And so, you know, I, I get involved with all of that stuff. And I kind of stopped writing songs because it just was too painful to look at what was going on. It started in the 80s where the homelessness started going up, you know, and everywhere you look, there were homeless people and there was no system in place to take care of those people. And it just like I thought, okay, how? what can I say when I've got all of that screaming in my face? And, and, and people didn't want to hear about it. People don't want to hear about the problems. So when I wrote songs like, like Life's Gotta Get Better, and I, a, a lot of songs like that, which will be coming out, people would say, oh, you're just complaining. Why don't you give us an, a solution? And I'm saying, I'm trying to point it out. Don't you see what's going on? And obviously they didn't see because here we are 40 years later. They're going, oh, gee, look what happened. And I'm saying, hey, I was trying to point that out 40 years ago. It's not new. It's just gotten so bad that people can't deny that it's there. It's affected a huge part of the population. But as long as people were happy and having a life and buying, you know, a third car and going on a, an extra whatever vacation, you know, people didn't have time to notice what was happening to the others. And, you know, only, and I don't I and we're I only as strong this. as the weakest in our society. And, you know, people can choose to turn a blind eye. But problems are going to get worse and we should care. Why shouldn't we care? It should hurt us. If we see somebody homeless, if we see somebody on the street, it should be painful because that person is out on the street without a single family member or friend to care about that person. We should care. And your music yeah. points that and out. This on when I do go to L.A., you know, I'm here in Shanghai and this is a wonderful city and you really don't see homelessness. 
here. You know, it, it's just I don't know how everything works here, but it, it's a it's a productive. You mean prosperous. here? You mean in Shanghai? I'm in Shanghai, yeah. yeah. And when I go back to LA, and I, I go driving around with my son, and you know, I'm I'm trying to. You know, I'm I'm happy. He lives in Beverly Hills, and his mother is is Chinese, and she's focused on you know having an alpha, and uh, you know that life is you know, and and that's I'm happy that my son is in that environment, but he needs to see all the parts, yeah. and that you know, and the fact is that we can all land out there on the street, and and you know, I am maybe more near to that than my son but we are all so fragile life is so fragile in one minute later life can be so different and we can never guess it and we can't relate to that until it happens and we and then when it happens we're so stunned and we're just sitting there in shock going and then all of a sudden we're on the other side of the line we're on the other side of the fence and people don't want to look at us I, I feel We're like sitting. that about climate change. I'm, I'm often so surprised, you know, with all with everything staring us in, in the face um, and all the facts about about science. I'm surprised people don't live a more sort of eco conscious life. But I suppose, sorry, Philip, that's a topic for another discussion. But I know exactly sort of what you mean, you know, when things are happening right before our eyes and we're still shocked when things actually right. happen. Um, yeah. we've, got about, <laughs> we've got about 10 minutes before the next news. Um, I, I want to ask you, so you moved to Shanghai for your photography, for your art. Um, did you sort of get back into the music scene in, in Shanghai? And, and what's it like Again, working yeah. on music there? Well, you know, I, I always was listening to music. You know, when I moved here, basically, I listened to Chinese music for four or five years. So I listened to all the pop music, all the Hong Kong music. You know, the I didn't really know what's the difference. I mean, I I I I like that when I got here, Andy Lau was still quite popular, and I was very you know, I was very I recently thinking a lot about this. I was really attracted to Asia because a man was a man, right? I mean, in the fifties, you had Elvis. In the 60s, right? And he was a man with a low voice, right? And he was a sexy man. And when I looked over here, I saw there were guys like Andy Lau. And there were a lot of guys like Andy Lau. They were men. They were handsome men with a low voice, right? And uh, I, I thought that, it, again, it was like a, a, I was reliving the 60s and the 70s. I always felt like China was about 50 years behind, it, especially with, with, with music. So, which was the romantic songs of the seventies, which is where you know where I came from. So I loved it. I, I loved it. Um, but I was doing the photography. In fact, I didn't even bring a guitar with me. I brought a camera and I built a photo studio. And somewhere, you know, it's one of those kind of Hollywood stories. I was going to school, the kindergarten. My my son was in the school, and there was only one other sort of foreigner kid there and his father was from Canada and his the mother was Chinese so you know you meet you're attracted you know so actually it was it was it was his wife who 
was speaking to me in English and, and she, she was saying, I want you to meet my husband because he's from Canada and you guys should have a coffee, <laughs> you know, and I would go there and pick up my son at, after school and I would run into her. She said, oh, my, he's going to be here. He's always going back and forth. So anyway, we she hooked us up and we met for a coffee and he was importing export. He was exporting stuff to America and to Canada for Walmart and this kind of things, making things here in the factories. And I told him a bit of my story and he was saying, gee, you know, we could do a, a music instrument company and you can, you can, he said, I bet you can make guitars. And, uh, I, I had gotten back into guitars and I actually had started buying guitars again and I was collecting them and I had, I was going to all the shops in Shanghai and Beijing and exp explaining that to him. So, and actually, that you know, we sat down and wrote a piece of paper and said, "Okay, we're going to call it Jarrell Guitars," and and uh, we wrote it on the back of a napkin, saying, "Okay, you get forty nine percent, and I get fifty because I'm investing money." And it's like, "Okay, all right, you know." So and I you go back into music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So before you know it, I was actually making guitars. So we start. We started Jarrell Guitars, and I started, you know researching the factories and how to make them and then i started designing my own guitars and i would make them in photoshop and take it to the factory and say can you make one like this right that you know it's because i'm a photographer i know how to use photoshop and i know what a good guitar is right so that's kind of how that happened before you know it i was i was in the factories making guitars and then then it was like okay who's going to play it so i just remember oh gee i have friends in the music business who I hadn't seen since the seventies. And the first guy that I connected with, somebody connected with me and said, gee, I used to work at Wishbone Studio in, in Muscle Shoals, which is where I cut Life's Gotta Get Better. They said, remember Mac McAnally? He's playing on that same record. Mac has been playing with the Jimmy Buffett band for the last 18 years. And he's, he's doing really well. So we, we got in touch with Mac and, and, took some guitars we went to the nam show in la and then i went to nashville and i took a bunch of guitars and mac mac and ellie loved the guitar and he he brought his friend uh the other guitar player from the jimmy buffett band uh and he loved it and so before you know it, i had two guitars on tour with the jimmy buffett band you know and that's how like they just started reconnecting with all my friends in the music business and, you know, Premier Guitar Magazine said, oh, gee, you've got those guys playing your guitar and you use Seymour Duncan pickups. And said, well, let's review your guitar, send it over to the magazine right away. And before I know it, like all these things were happening that theoretically it's really difficult to make these things happen. I've had people say, how did you get a review in the magazines, man? I said, I just wanted to do it, you know. So, yeah, that whole thing happened. And. You know, now I've got like <laughs> 30 guitars packed up in my apartment here with me and guitars in a storage room. You know, most everything is shipped out to Canada and Jerome guitars. We had, I made guitars for Monty Pittman and with, it was with the Madonna tour in, in 2012, MDNA world tour with Madonna. And he had Jerome guitar, signature guitar. And, you know, so it just, 
It, it, Your life and the music went, industry never leaves. Even though you left it, the States to come to China for photography, it found a way to to to, yeah. to realign with you. So Philip, I never... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, Sorry. well, um, we'd love to hear your song, Life Has Got to Get Better, uh, before the news. Great. Perhaps mm. you can uh, give us, uh, how can our listeners find out more about you and your music? Are you on social media? And what's your website? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be as many places as I can. I'm like connecting from Shanghai to the world. I can't go on tour and play. So, yeah, uh, my website is philipjarellmusic.com. And I try to keep that one up to date with the news. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. And you could basically, you know, those, those links are a bit different, uh, each one. But you can find all the links from my main website, which is philipjarellmusic.com. Excellent. I'm on Spotify, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, you name everywhere. it. All channels of communication is wide open. Well, Philip Jarrell, what a pleasure to meet you and speak to you this afternoon. Uh, let's hear your latest single, Life Has Gotta Get Better. Screaming in terror 